What are the biggest needs for the Boston Red Sox heading into the 2024 season? Find out on today's episode of Locked On Red Sox as we examine how the 2023 season has gone so far. You are Locked On Red Sox, your daily Boston Red Sox podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked On Red Sox, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Gabby Hurlbut, former ESPN social media associate and current host of the Boston Balling Podcast, here to bring you the latest in all things Boston Red Sox every day to your favorite podcast platform. I have a special guest with me on today's episode, and I will introduce him in one second. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel official sports book of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. Hope everybody's having a fantastic day so far. The Red Sox obviously have put us through an absolute roller coaster of emotions this season. It's just been one for a lot of topic of conversation. And I do have a guest with me on today's episode who is Perfect to talk about that roller coaster that has been the 2023 Boston Red Sox. He's a Red Sox beat writer for Mass Live. Chris Cotillo, how are you doing today? I'm good. Three hours late for this recording, but good nonetheless. So we're making it happen. Hey, we we make it work, and we uh, that's what we do around here. We uh, we make it work, and we just go with the flow. So I'm happy to have you join me today. Yeah, happy to be here. So you know, obviously this season for the Red Sox has been a very emotional one. As I like to say, they've taken me through a massive emotional roller coaster this season. They'll be playing really good baseball and get you excited. And then all of a sudden they'll play bad baseball and you'll just start to lose that hope that you did have. So it's been a very up and down and inconsistent season. What I want to know from you is where the Red Sox are at and how they've played this season, um, are they about where you expected them to be at this point, or are they better or worse than what you expected? You know, I had them projected at 81 and 81, which I always said was the ultimate cop-out um, to be kind of projecting them to be exactly 500, but that's kind of what I thought. I thought they were heading into the season as middling as middling can be, and I think you know, when you take the totality of everything that's happened, they have been that middling team. You know, win, uh, you know, as they did in July, a lot of games, and then come out after the deadline and lose, you know, 8 of 10, and then um, just kind of the back and forth type of thing. You know, like they look dead in the water after losing three to the Blue Jays over the weekend, come back and win three or four against Kansas City. Just, you know, it's been that Jekyll and Hyde team, and when you kind of look at it in totality, like I said, middling is the right way to put it. I mean, I think in terms of the record, I think they're 5 over 500 right now based on that a little bit exceeding expectations and i do think um you know though the the bad swings have been real and the good swings have been real and and fans get you know very excited quickly and very you know upset when things are going wrong like they did a week ago you know if you look at the totality of the whole thing for the organization and you look at kind of how how many guys have stepped up and been uh kind of solid contributors where they're getting um you know really good young players to contribute at different spots whether that be uh, Connor Wong or Tristan Costas, Brian Bayo, Cutter Crawford, Winkowski, 
uh, Jaron Duran, obviously. Like, there's a lot of guys in a lot of spots that are going to be under control for a long time. So I think in terms of um, the future, it's a big step forward. I do think fans are frustrated with, you know, they have been now – They've entered really the last uh, five seasons, kind of or four seasons in the same spot dating back to 2020. They've entered like, oh, this team could make a wild card run. Maybe not. And they did it in 21. They didn't do it in 20, 22. And this year still in you know, OTBD. So I think next year they're going to be really, really good. I don't know if that's enough to save Bloom's job in the mind of a lot of fans. So I would say slightly exceeding expectations. And when it comes to like overall organizationally, I think it's been a pretty good year for Bloom. I think it's been a pretty good year for the Red Sox. But again, in this market, it's it's not you want to start seeing the seeds sprouting. It's you want you want like, you know, the trees and all the growth in front of you in a World Series championship. And as I've said a billion times, you know, that's just the Red Sox lot in life as a big market team that's won so much in the 21st century where, you know, before a season like this would be looked a big step forward and fans would be gearing up for next year. And now it's just we want to win now because they've seen it so much. Um, so that's why I always say the worst thing that happened for the Red Sox is winning as much as they did. But um, generally, I would take it as a positive. Yeah, I mean, you just said it. As a Red Sox fan, we've been so spoiled in the 2000s to see those four World Series championships. So the fan base has high expectations because of that. And it almost plants this mindset of we should be in win now mode every year because that's how the Red Sox operate. Um, when you look at the current roster and the young players on the team that are starting to develop, it almost makes you realize a lot of what Bloom's been going for since he got here, um, which is just really building that core for the future that can help the Red Sox be competitive longer term. And I had faith in Jaron Duran, but I did not expect him to develop as quickly as he has and make this much of an impact this quickly um I think some fans were ready to write him off after last season but mm-hmm. I said you know let's give him some more time he's still young he's still figuring it out and what he's done this season has absolutely been a surprise to me in a really positive way yeah he's been you know I think anything the Red Sox could have you know hoped for and more you know a guy that I think a lot of fans as you said last year wrote off just because he you know was um there's a lot of mental lapses there was a lot of uh there was kind of a lot of um, things going on and I think it was really all between the years for him. You know, I talked to him and about this time a year ago about, you know, what, how he had kind of struggled throughout the season and it was all mental. Um, and I think people don't really realize how big and important of a part of the game that is. And, and those mental, you know, doubts he had led to a lot of physical errors. And we saw that, you know, time and time again, but he was able to kind of clear his head over the off season and change some things. And that's been, you know, huge and he's having fun. He's different with us talking to the media. He's different kind of in every way. And he's turned into a dynamic player. Um, and I think, you know, that's huge for the Red Sox moving forward to have uh, maybe, you know, a guy that is one of your better players who is cheap and young and under control for a while and, and can impact both sides of the board, really all aspects of the game with speed and everything like that. So, um, and when you look back at this entire Red Sox season, when it's over, I think his emergence is probably going to be one of the top, you know, storylines. And, you know, I know he's had a couple stretches of a little bit of struggles on the West Coast. Um, the first trip they took out there, I think he was like over 20 with 15 strikeouts or something like that. And you start thinking, oh, no, are we back to, you know, the problem that we had last year where, he, you know, very hot or very cold. And you look at it now, you know, hitting 300, uh, an 845 OPS, you know, a lot of obviously – um, he's 23 for 25 with steals and obviously the speed's always going to be part of it and played a pretty good center field. I mean, this is a guy that is going to be, 
He looks like a cornerstone piece for the Red Sox, and I, I don't think anybody anybody would have expected that heading into the season. No, absolutely not. I expected some progress from him, but definitely not this much. And the fact that he's in that conversation of being the center fielder for the future, that's going to be one of those pieces the Red Sox continue to build around is actually very exciting because you look at him and then you look at Casas and how much he's developed this year. And those are two really strong young pieces that they can continue to build the team around as they kind of formulate what the next few years are really going to look like. Yeah. And, you know, I think it costs us a slow start. You know, it's not, I think there's just such a, and you know, with Durant, it took even longer than a lot of players, but there's just such a, desire among fans especially in a big market like this for a player to come up and be a superstar immediately because there's so much hype about them in the minors and like we'll see that in the future with Raffaello when he comes up or Meyer or any of these guys eventually Roman Anthony or Kyle Teal or some of these younger guys in the system too like people just expect that you know he's hitting 370 at um AAA it's going to be you know um the same thing. Just look at what happened to Trevor Story this week. He was like the best player in AAA history during his rehab assignment and came up. And this is a guy who has 10 years of big league experience and looked foolish against major league pitching. I mean, it's totally, totally different game. It's a totally different level. Um, and so I think that is always something to remember. And, and it does take time for some of these guys. You know, Casas uh, early in the year definitely did not look as good as he does now. Um, he's turned into you know rookie of the year contender. Uh, Duran wasn't even on the major league roster to start the year. Um, you know, Bayo got optioned earlier in the year. Cutter Crawford got optioned earlier in the year. Winkowski probably wasn't going to make the team. I mean, if you really think about it, all these guys, um, you know, they made the most of their opportunities for the last four months. And, and as I said, that's kind of um, a record aside the storyline for me for the Sox so far. Yeah, absolutely. And I know for some fans, they might have felt like the Red Sox were – saving money or trying to save money in some areas that they shouldn't but I'm sure for you and me we all love saving money wherever we can I know this time of year everybody's having summer barbecues are you trying to pick up burgers and hot dogs because I know it's still that type of weather here and everybody's in the barbecue type of mood so Ibada has you covered with all of that They will give you cash back on hundreds of grocery items from produce to personal care to pantry goods. So you can make sure you're beating inflation no matter what you're purchasing. Either link your loyalty account or upload your receipt after you shop and get your cash back. It's that easy. Right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners $5 just for trying Ibotta by using the code MLB when you register. Just go to the App Store or Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app and use code MLB. That's I-B-O-T-T-A in the Google Play or App Store and use code MLB. I mean, I don't know about you, but groceries are so expensive these days. So I'm definitely uh, taking that up, that offer, and you absolutely should too. So going back to, you know, talking about players who have made an impact on the Red Sox this season, you're around the team all the time. So I always talk about him on the show and just how he makes an impact on and off the field. His on-field performance this year has been phenomenal, and he's been one of the most consistent hitters the Red Sox have had this year. But I particularly liked when the Red Sox signed him because of his veteran presence. How much of a difference do you think from a locker room standpoint Justin Turner has made on this Red Sox team? 
Yeah, people around the Red Sox have said he's the best clubhouse leader that they've ever seen. And to me, that says a lot, um, you know, because a lot of guys have come through this for a long time. And, uh, uh, you know, they've had, you know, really good players and guys like Xander Bogarts and, you know, guys like that over the last few years. Before that, Dustin Pedroia, David Ortiz, Justin Turner just has a way of um, connecting with everybody in the room. I think that that is kind of the main thing. And, you know, Alex Cora always puts this in a pretty good way when he talks about Justin Turner. He always says this is a guy who has been in every role in baseball. I'm not talking about positionally, but like he was the 25th, 26th man on the roster earlier in his career. Got cut, got DFA'd, was a minor league signing. He had to try to prove himself again once he got to the Dodgers. Was a bit player on the Dodgers, was a superstar for the Dodgers in a big market, a World Series champion. Like there's no player in there that Turner can't connect to because he's been all of those guys at some point. So he can talk to Rafael Devers and Rafael Devers will respect him because this is a guy who's been a star in a big market at third base, right? Or he can talk to, um, I don't know, Emmanuel Valdez, a rookie second baseman who's going up and down, who's trying to stick in the majors. And Justin Turner's been through that. Or, you know, a guy like Christian Arroyo who just get DFA'd. Justin Turner was DFA'd twice in his career, you know, or, or a guy like, and not that he's seen too much of him this year, but Bobby Dahlbeck, a guy who, you know, wins in AAA and trying to break out of it. And, Turner's been there. So it's just, he kind of can do it all um, in terms of connecting with different people. And I think that that has been, um, you know, very, very valuable to the Red Sox. And obviously, you know, on the field, he's been excellent too. You know, the, the clutch hits, the um, kind of that, that gene or that ability to put it together professionally at bat in a clutch moment, I think has been huge, especially in July when they were, you know, really uh, hot. Um, he's the guy that you want to step to the plate, you know, and that is, uh, that has been a, a big, big impact. I think down the stretch here, you know, he does now have this bone bruise in his heel, which is seems to be more serious than um, we might have imagined uh, early on. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, that's probably something that could, you know, theoretically hamper him down the stretch, plant foot and um, hitting and, and things like that. So um, that's something to monitor, but so far been an excellent signing and an excellent addition. And he seems like a good fit for Boston. And um, I think Boston's embraced him too. Yeah. I think I, there were mixed feelings on it. I definitely saw a lot of just mixed thoughts on Twitter about him coming here because people weren't sure how much he really had in the tank at this point in Mm -hmm. his career. But I remember having a conversation with somebody before the season started and I said if anything even if his plate productivity isn't as good if anything I feel like he'd be a fantastic leader especially with a team that has quite a lot of young players now that are still trying to navigate and figure everything out in terms of how they're going to be successful going forward I said Justin Turner is somebody who's been around the league for a long time and has experienced it all and all the hardships that come with being a major league baseball player. So if anything, even if he doesn't really have the performance at the plate that people would want him to have, I think his locker room presence is going to make more of a difference than people were really talking about. And it seems like that's the case, but it's also obviously a plus that he's been one of the best hitters on this team too. Yeah, no, all around it's been a good addition. And I think that, you know, he'll have the option to opt out and test free agency in terms of, uh, you know, money. It's probably what he's going to do. But I'm sure the Red Sox will have interest in bringing him back in a DH role next year for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think they should. It, it would be in their best interest to do so. And it's interesting that you bring that up and him testing free agency and just the Red Sox really in general, because 
they're in a situation now where they have kind of a mix of these veteran players on the team and the younger players that they're trying to build around for the future. So going into this trade deadline, I was unsure what direction they were going to take. They were, you know, playing good baseball and then they lost some games leading up to the deadline. Losing that series to Oakland was just so not ideal and they lose games like that. And that's what really bothers me because that shows the inconsistency, but then they go and they play good baseball against good teams. So I was saying Bloom is in a tough spot when it comes to this trade deadline. Um, Are you surprised that he kind of took more of a Stan Pat type of mentality when it came to this trade deadline, as opposed to doing a buy or a sell and really committing to one or the other? Um, I think, you know, he just kind of looked at what the prices were across the board. You know, I think, you know, the rumor is that it would have taken Brian Bayo to get Dylan Cease from the White Sox. I'm like, you can't look at that and be like, that's a good deal, you know. Um, And if it Aaron Savali from Cleveland, if that was going to take you, you Casas or Duran or Rafaela, the same type of thing, right? You can't do that with a straight face and think it's a good deal. So um, they were in an interesting kind of middle middle ground spot where, you know, they um, they were not in a position based on the playoff odds, which were around 25% on the day of the deadline of drop cents. Like, if you look at that, are you willing to give up a prospect in some form for a rental player that you only have for two months that might bring those odds from 25% to 27%? Like, is that really worth it when you have, you know, maybe a young player, you know, pick your name to, to give up for a rental? In the minds of Heimblum in the front office, it just wasn't worth it. And like, I, I think that does make sense. Um, and in terms of controllable players, guys that could help them pass this year, you know, they did add one in Urias, a minor addition, but he's you know under control for a couple seasons. If they want him to be, um, like those prices for players with more than just a two months of control are sky high. Whether it be Cease, who didn't move, Savali, who who did. Um, you know, there's a reason that none of those guys uh, other than Savali were traded because those teams set it sky high. It's a seller's market at the trade deadline now with so many teams in contention. You know, you could see kind of who the um, the real sellers were, the Mets, um, the White Sox and, and some other teams that really kind of decided to sell off. But generally, you know, there's only four or five teams in that boat, which means that it becomes a seller's market. You can get high prices. And at the end of the day, Bloom wasn't willing to pay them. Um, especially for guys that are only under control for, you know, the next two months. So it is, I think, um, you know, it, it's not, and, and again, in a market like this where every year is now like a championship or bust, which is how Red Sox fans view it. Yeah, it's never do. satisfactory to do that. You know, Dave Dombrowski did that in 2019 and people weren't thrilled about that, but he basically said, look, you know, he, I guess he, at the time he didn't know he only had a month left in the job, but he was like saying, you know, hey, at this point, this team's not good enough to really add to. Um, and he was right. And I think Heim's probably, you know, right. And, and obviously, they have some cover with the guys that are getting back sale tonight story earlier in the week. Um, Whitlock and Hauk and, and some of these pieces, too. So, look, it's um, it's not an easy decision. But I, I think Heim is insanely principled. And he's very, very kind of sticks to his guns on these types of things. And he decided, you know. Look, this is um, it's not worth kind of sacrificing our future for a two month or a two percent, you know, increase in chances to get to the wild card round where you might lose anyway. And I think that there's something to be said for that. You know, next year, if they're, you know, in first place, you know, we saw a couple of years ago, they had a great record at the deadline. They were going to get into the playoffs probably no matter what. He said, we need a bat. We need someone to, you know, maybe play first base and we need a couple of bullpen arms. And they got 
Schwarber and, and Robles and Austin Davis. And, you know, especially Schwarber, those guys were great down the stretch. So if they were in that position again, he probably would have done it. They just weren't. So, um, you know, in terms of that, I think in terms of what, what they got, look at the record, they kind of reap what they sow there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it was a tough place for him to be in because the Red Sox were playing such inconsistent baseball that the message they were sending was hard to decide, you know, what should I really do here and how to handle this? And there were Red Sox players, you know, Kenley Jansen, Turner, Devers, who vocalized that they wanted the Red Sox to add some pieces to help them out at the trade deadline. So how did the players really react to the trade deadline? Was there um, anything that came out of the trade deadline that might have discouraged some of the players or what message did um, Heim Bloom's trade deadline really send to the players in the locker room? Yeah, I think it was just um, the way the reaction was in Seattle. It was kind of a um, half positive, half negative kind of a, you know, I guess they were happy that, um, probably, you know, happy that they didn't trade Duvall or Paxton or Justin Turner, any of those rental type guys, but also like, you know, curious as to why they didn't make an addition, you know, the players on the team in a lot of these cases, and I know some guys, a lot of the guys, the key players are under control for a while and they do have to worry about the long-term future. You know, the player's job is to win that day and try to get in the playoffs that year. You know, if you're Justin Turner, you're Kenley Jansen, you're in your you know late 30s and you are under control in the case of Jansen for just next year, in the case of Turner just this year, basically, you know, you don't really care about what the 2028, 2029 Red Sox are going to look like, you know. Um, and even a guy like Devers, who's locked up for 10 more years, he looks at it and says, you know, we need some pitching and I want to get that because it's going to help us, you know, to to try to get to the playoffs this year. And if we, you know, play well and win, then my legacy will be better. And they only get, you know, so many chances. And Devers has seen that throughout his career already. You know, they were, they were really good in 17, 18, and 21, but not so much in, you know, 19, 20, uh, 22, and 23 now. So um, these players all, you know, want to win at the end of the day. They want teammates. They don't care about the single A kid that could help the Red Sox in six years when they're not going to be here in a lot of cases. And that's just what the clubhouse feels. They always really want, you know, that win that day or that win next week or to try to get into the dance in October and see what happens. Um, so there's always kind of that that push and pull. I think the most um, famous in 2017 at the trade deadline, uh, the Astros didn't do anything. Dallas Keuchel got really upset about it and went on the record and said, you know, I can't believe they didn't do anything. They did not believe in this team and really pushed. And um, a month later at the waiver deadline, they went out and got Verlander ended up, you know, winning the World Series and all that. And you know, there's some other factors at play there, obviously, but um, I think that, you know, that's the type of thing, you know, these guys, there's only a finite amount of chances to make the playoffs and, um, you know, try to win. And uh, they're trying to capitalize on all of them. Heim's job is a little different. He has to look at things from kind of the 30,000 foot view. And I think that's what he's trying to do. Yeah, it definitely is the type of situation where I was saying this is going to be interesting to see how the players respond and, you know, the way that they play after this, because they could take this in a variety of different ways. They could Yeah, they already themselves. they already they already took it in the worst way yeah. possible by, you know, losing it like eight yeah. out of ten. So, I mean, yeah, because I, I said this could be discouraging to them because this could send a message to them that he doesn't really believe in them to make a playoff run this year. And that could affect their play because mentally they could say, well, he doesn't believe in us to make the playoffs this year. So what are we really doing? 
Right. I mean, that's kind of what's been the last couple of weeks. And, you know, it's Sean McAdam at Mass Live for us wrote yesterday, like at some point the blame has to be on the players. You know, they yep. um, they did not respond last year well when they played, you know, a bad team in the Royals right after the deadline. And they did not play well against, you know, Seattle and Toronto in two big series right out this year. So, you know, like I said, they're a little bit back on track after winning three or four. Um, but, you know, it's uh, it's uh, it comes down to the players, right? They're the ones between the lines. Yep, exactly. Well, if you enjoy sports betting, you can bet on all of these players and all of these teams through FanDuel. Take your first swing at betting MLB on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets, up to $200. That's right. Just bet 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That's 200 that you can spend betting everything from the money line to the over-under to who you think is going to hit the first home run. All on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you can get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet on MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. So sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. I mean, we all know FanDuel, but betting on baseball can be very, very tough. So FanDuel has you covered because you can win a lot of money, especially if you bet on players like Otani to hit a home run because your chances are probably pretty high with how much of a tear that man has been on this year. So check out FanDuel and use that code locked on. So, Chris, I definitely want to get your thought because we've talked a lot about, you know, how this season has gone, what the trade deadline looked like, what Bloom is focusing on for the future. So for 2024, as the Red Sox kind of finish up this season and, um, you know, maybe sweet week into the playoffs, maybe not, but the focus now to me primarily is looking ahead to what is needed for next year to make them competitive. And the biggest thing that pops into my head is starting pitching. They absolutely have to invest in starting pitching in this off season. But what do you see, you know, as the biggest holes and priorities that that bloom needs to address heading into the 2024 season? Yeah, I think it's pretty clearly rotation help. You know, if you look at it, you probably have, you know, you can lock Bayo in and maybe Cutter Crawford as a back-end guy. And so you have, you know, probably your your number one or your number two in Bayo, depending on what you think the ceiling is there. And then you also have, you know, probably your number four, number five in Cutter Crawford. Um, Chris Sale's under contract for next year. Tanner Houck and Garrett well. Um, and I think those guys are guys that, you know, they've had different roles and they've had injury concerns. I think moving forward, they like Hauk as a starter. And I think they're probably starting to get resigned to the fact that Whitlock is going to be a reliever moving forward. But again, it really shakes, determines how, or is going to be determined by how the pitching staff shakes out in the next couple months. Um, I think that the, it's just clear that they need to go add a high-end guy, whether that be a free agent like Aaron Nola or Blake a guy Heim knows well from their time in Tampa together or go out and make a trade, whether that be Dylan Cease, like we talked about with the White Sox or Mitch Keller in Pittsburgh or someone in Seattle, whether it be George Kirby, Logan Gilbert, you know, one of these big time players who, you know, these guys are in their 20s. They are, you know, established major leaguers. They have a lot of control left. They're going to cost you a ton. You know, they're going to cost you a lot of really good players from the upper levels of your minors. And Heim has never shown a willingness to do that. Maybe things are different now that, you know, he, he feels maybe some heat and, and where the team is organizationally. But, you know, if you look at kind of their uh, 
where what they have in terms of starting pitchers in the minors, there's not a lot coming in terms of the high end guys. Um, you know, the, the top guys that they had heading into this year in terms of pitching prospect um, were, you know, like Drohan, who's been pretty bad at Triple A, Murphy, who's a reliever, uh, Walter, who's a reliever now. Um, I'm not saying these guys can't change, but they might. Mata who has uh, been hurt all year and, and doesn't look like he's going to contribute. So there's just not a lot of upper level pitching. Um, and I just don't think that um, I don't think they can rely on that. I think they need to go get somebody. So Snell and Nola are the two guys to me that stand out. Um, you know, unless they uh, decide to get creative with something else. I know a lot of, there's a lot of interest in another big time Japanese acquisition, but um, I was going to bring I, up his name too. And yeah. just kind of see, you know, what the likelihood is that you think the Red Sox will be in the Otani sweepstakes? Uh, on Otani, I mean, that's probably a little bit, a little bit pricey. But um, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not going to rule it out specifically. Yamamoto is is kind of the the guy I was referencing. That I mean, he's going to be kind of the top pitching free agent too. So um, I wouldn't rule anything out at this point. There. Yeah. Do you think he has a good chance to come to the Red Sox because? Obviously, you know, his name's been tossed around a lot in conversation, and I feel like he has a lot of potential to be a high-end starter in the majors. Do you think that he's somebody that you could see the Red Sox being interested in? Yeah, for sure. I think they're going to be on all in all those um, high-end arms, and so that's what they need. They have the money to spend. They have prospect capital. I don't, I don't think we can really rule out anything um, right now, and there's, you know, again, it's – you're, you're looking at a team that's going to have pretty much the holes filled at catcher with Wong first with Casas short with story third with Devers. And then, you know, Yoshida and Duran and a couple of outfield spots, Raffaello really close and pitching wise, you have, you know, Winkowski Crawford, um, Bayo Whitlock, Hauk, you know, and, and a couple of veteran relievers are back next year too. And Martin and Jansen, like there's a lot of kind of certainty already on the roster, um, but just that rotation mix with Paxton leaving and sale being sale. And, um, you know, who knows about Nick Pavetta? I think he's a trade candidate like that. You know, that's, that's the area that I think they need to really look at. And I think they will. Yeah. I've been so impressed with Pavetta out of the bullpen this year. I'm so glad they figured out, you know, where he belongs because he's shown tremendous improvement from when he was starting to when he was a reliever and his numbers out of the pen are just so incredibly different from when he was a starter. And it seems like he's gained a lot of confidence being in that spot and really finding his role on this team. But I do agree with you. Um, I think there's a possibility that he gets moved and I think it would make a lot of sense to move him because there's definitely some value that they can get from him. Yeah. Sell high, you know, and have a team, you know, figure out if they want to start him or use him out of the bullpen, you know, at a certain point. Um, he, this will be his last year before free agency next year. Um, I thought they should have tried to trade him at the deadline where the pitching staff was. They probably couldn't do that, but um, in the off season, if you add a couple of arms and have you know your young guys, and you know maybe Hauk finishes strong here and looks like a rotation rotation piece moving forward, you know I think that that's a guy that um, you know it, to me it's a guy that you can probably. Um, you know, look at moving and, and kind of one of those spare parts on the roster that's not part of the long-term core, much like Verdugo, and might make sense to move. Yeah, absolutely. There's going to be a lot of change, I think, that we see. But this is a huge offseason coming up for Bloom. Um, I think, you know, it's going to be really telling 
what this roster looks like at the beginning of next season, determining how, um, you know, safe his job might be. I, I really like to see him um, where he's in the opportunity to be in buy mode and if he's able to fully capitalize on that and take advantage of that. So this is a huge off season for him, for me to really see, um, you know, how capable he is of being the guy going forward for the Red Sox, because like you said before, you know, he hasn't really committed to improving the pitching staff, primarily the rotation um, as much as they need it to be. So this off season needs to be dedicated to that. And if it's not, then that's going to be a huge disappointment. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, at a certain point, you know, it's not time to build for uh, a couple of years from now anymore. It's time to build for today. Uh, I think he understands that. It's just, and, and again, he was willing to do that in 21 when they were good and he went out and got Schwarber and the relievers and those moves helped them down the stretch and they were two games away from a world series. So he is willing to do that. I just think he's very measured uh, and he needed the core in place before he could. So this will be the chance. I mean, for, for as much as people, you know, focused last year on Bogarts leaving a free agency is the big story. Like he did do a lot of buying, right? Yoshida for 90 million. That's been excellent. Jansen and Martin um, Turner, like all those guys kind of worked out and hit. Um, and so, you know, that there was, those guys weren't cheap. I mean, Jansen's making 16 million a year. Martin's making 9 million a year. I think Turner's around 15, you know, these are short-term deals, but still buy moves. Um, and Yoshida, you know, again, $90 million to a guy at, and signing Devers, like he spent a lot of money in the offseason. People forget that somehow. Yeah, no, it's yeah, no, they're there. And then even, yeah, like it, it, when it started with story even, and mm-hmm. it, so it shows that he does make those types of moves and he is willing to spend. He just now has to go and spend in the right spot, which is now the pitching rotation. But Chris, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I appreciate you taking the time to sit down and chat with me. Anytime, Gabby. I'll be on time next time. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. I'm going to hold you to that. But don't forget, everyone, um, you can subscribe to Lockdown Red Sox on your favorite podcast platform and catch the show for free Monday through Friday, all brand new Boston Red Sox content on a day-to-day basis. And my mood is very much determined on the play that is on the field. So I will go through all of those emotions with you. Keep the faith. As always, go Red Sox, and I will catch you next time.